this morning we're wrapping up our summer sermon series called God Never Said That. It's been such an interesting series, I think. When I first heard about it, I thought, oh, that sounds like a nice, light, summer, humorous sermon series. <laughs> and boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I don't know, I've really been challenged by some of these. I mean, let's face it, some of these expressions roll off our lips so easily. They become really ingrained in us, like uh, they're a part of who we are. Like, oh, God just wants me to be happy. Or God will never give you more than you can handle. Or don't judge. I mean, unpacking these things that God never said has caused me, and I think all of us, judging from a lot of the feedback and comments that you have been saying, sharing with me, they've called all of us to think a lot more deeply about what God really does say. Because after all, we want to seek the truth of what God says and why he says it. So today we're looking at one more thing that God never said. You get what you deserve. Now, we often talk about fairness, don't we, or, or getting what we deserve. And we love that, don't we? Our culture teaches us that if we work hard, if we do what's right, then we deserve to be rewarded. We love stories like that. Think about the little girl who works really hard in her elementary school, and she makes the honor roll. We celebrate things like that. It's right. She deserves it. Or the teenager who's walking down the street and he finds a wallet full of money on the sidewalk and he finds out who it belongs to and he returns it, all the money intact, and he gets a $100 reward from the gracious owner. We love stories like that. But our culture also teaches us that if we mess up, then we deserve to be punished. And let's face it, don't we all take a little bit of satisfaction in that? Maybe a little bit too much sometimes. Think about it. You're driving on the expressway, and some speed demon goes flying past you. Vroom, 100 miles an hour. Don't you just hope there's a state highway patrolman in the median just a little bit further up. And sure enough, you go a couple more miles and you see the guy pulled over on the side of the road and the lights are flashing on that, uh, on that patrol car. And don't you smile your smug little smile and think to yourself, yeah, he got what he deserves. Recently, I found this show on Netflix and I've started watching it. Netflix thinks I must like really historical drama pieces. I have watched a few of those. This Drama's called, it's about the Medici family in, like, Renaissance Florence, okay? And every episode, I've watched maybe a half a dozen or so, there's always this power struggle between the powerful families. There's intrigue, there's evil plotting throughout. And there's this noble family called the Albizzi family, and Rinaldo Albizzi absolutely has it out to get Cosimo Medici. And he's no saint, by the way, either. But I was home for lunch one day this week, 
And I thought, well, I'll just turn on and catch a little piece of the episode while I'm eating my sandwich. And I found myself really getting worked up because in this episode, Ronaldo Albizzi is poisoning Cosimo Medici, who's languishing in prison, working to have the Medici family exiled from the city of Florence to Venice. And I found myself so angry, and I just thought to myself, I want to see Ronaldo get what he has coming to him. And I was coming back, and I was telling Pastor John about that, and all of a sudden, like, this light bulb went off. It's like, okay, that's a sermon illustration, if ever there was one, for this week, exactly about getting what we deserve. I want to play a little game with you for a moment this morning. I think you've had your coffee, and it's uh, after 11, you should be awake enough. Are you up for it? Are you up for a little game? Okay. I'm going to say a few phrases. Actually, I'm just going to start the phrase And then I want you to finish the phrase. Just call it out. Say it out. Say the end of the phrase. Are you ready for the first one? Here we go. What goes around comes around. Your past will come back to haunt you. You guys are good at this. You made your bed, now lie in it. And the last one, the title of this sermon. You get what you deserve. Now, in some level, there's a level of truth to these expressions, isn't there? I mean, that's how they become expressions in the first place, because there's a kernel of truth in them. In the Hindu faith, there's a belief in something called karma. And it says that all the good you've ever done and all the bad that you've ever done in this life and in your previous lives will affect your existence in your future lives. By the way, that reminds me, I heard recently about this new cafe that's going to be opening up. It's called the Karma Cafe, and here's their slogan. Welcome to the Karma Cafe. There are no menus. You will be served what you deserve. (laughs) Isn't that a great slogan? I'm teasing. There isn't really a Karma Cafe opening up, but it sounds good, doesn't it? Now, karma is not a Christian belief. And we're going to unpack that somewhat today in this message. Because you see, unlike karma, the Bible teaches that we can never do enough good to overcome the bad that we've done. In fact, according to scripture, all of us, every single one of us, without any exception whatsoever, deserve to spend eternity in hell because of our sinning against God every day. And yet the Bible also teaches that every authentic believer in Jesus Christ has been spared from that outcome. Jesus never said, you get what you deserve, because the blessing of adoption as sons and daughters of God Most High is not ours by right. It's not because we earned it. It's not because of some power or beauty in us that we possess. It is ours only by the mercy and the grace of God. People have struggled with this idea for hundreds, thousands of years. Jesus' own disciples struggled with the notion of getting what we deserve. Listen to this passage from John 9, verses 1 to 11. Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, in this passage, we, we find the disciples operating under the mistaken assumption that this man who had been born blind had done something to deserve his blindness or that his parents had done something wrong. But Jesus told them, no, no one had sinned. He said sin had not caused this man's blindness. Instead, Jesus taught that this blindness, which already was, could be used to, to teach about faith and to bring glory to God. And so Jesus healed the man who was born blind. He gave him back his sight. And the man put his faith in the lordship of Jesus Christ. My friend, I don't have to tell you that we live in a fallen world. A world where sometimes innocent people suffer. And where sometimes the wicked prosper. And so it's easy for us to fall into this mistaken idea a lie, actually, that God's love for us is contingent on our behavior. We come to believe that the better the person I am, the more God is going to love me, the more he will bless me, the more he will give me what I deserve. We also come to believe that the more mistakes I make, the more I sin, the more God becomes mad at me, and the less God loves me, the less he will bless me. These are lies. The Bible tells us that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. That he causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, we have a God who is always faithful. A God who is always just. A God who is full, full of grace and mercy. Now, mercy is not getting the bad that we do deserve to get. And grace, grace is getting the good that we do not deserve to get. One time, Reverend Billy Graham was driving through a small southern town, and he was pulled over by a policeman for speeding. Reverend Graham admitted his guilt, and the officer told him that he was going to have to appear in court. And so he appeared before the judge, and at first the judge didn't recognize him, and he said, are you guilty or not guilty? And Reverend Graham pled guilty. And the judge said, well, the fine is going to be $10, $1 for every mile over the speed limit that you were going. And it was only then, after the sentence had been passed, that the judge recognized who was standing before him, the famous Reverend Billy Graham. And the judge said, I've already passed sentence. The fine has to be paid, but I'm going to pay it for you. And he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out a $10 bill, and he clipped it to the ticket that the officer had written out. And then he took Reverend Billy Graham out for a steak dinner. And Billy Graham said, that is how God 
treats repentant sinners. You see, by God's grace, we do not receive the punishment for our sins that we deserve. Jesus took what we deserved when he died on the cross. And our gracious God is not mad at you. No, our gracious God is mad about you. His love is solid. His love is unconditional. Psalm 103 puts it this way. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. What an amazing God we have. He formed us out of the dust, and he knows how fragile, how frail we are as human beings. He knows that there are going to be many, many times when we will fail to be his obedient sons and daughters. And yet, his love for us is higher than the heavens. His love is so great for everyone who has reverence for him. And in God's incredible grace, when we do sin and we mess up, when we confess our sins to God, when we ask him for forgiveness, his word tells us that he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Think about it, my friends. Have you ever seen the east and the west meet? No, it's not possible at all. God forgives our sins and he removes it from us. And then he forgets all about it. So we don't need to wallow in our past. We don't need to dredge our past up again and again and again. God has wiped our record clean. And we have to do the same for others. We have to offer the same loving forgiveness that God gives to us to other people who have sinned against us. We must not hold grudges against others who seemingly, in our warped kind of logical mind, seem to be getting a better deal than us. Jesus told a parable one time about a landowner who had a vineyard. And he went out very early in the morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning, to hire workers for his vineyard to bring in the harvest. This was a very common practice in that part of the world, particularly during the grape harvest time. There was a lot to be brought in, and a storm or something could wipe out a crop quickly. So when it was ready, it had to be harvested quickly. And so for a time, anyone who wanted a job could absolutely get one. Now the work was hard. It was backbreaking. It was hot under the sun all day from dawn to dusk. And in a Mediterranean country like Israel, that means at grape harvest time about a 12-hour day. Now the wage 
it was a standard wage, one denarius for a day's work, a silver coin. Anglican pastor Tim Chesterson makes the point that a denarius was not only the average daily wage for a worker, but it was also the average cost of survival per day for the masses of poor people that lived in Israel, the working class. This wage didn't allow any room for maneuver. A, a denarius would buy your family what they needed to stay alive for the day, no more, no less. And so a full day's, a day's work and a full day's wage were essential to survival. Now during the grape harvest, men who wanted to go to work would get up early in the morning and they'd go to the marketplace and they would stand around, kind of like going to an employment center today, hoping to find some work. They would be hired and, and they would go and they work 12 hours and then they would be paid at the end of the day so that each man could go home to his wife, to his family, to his children, and, uh, and they would be able to eat that day. And if he found work for only part of the day, and thus was able to earn only part of a denarius, his family might be able to scrounge up a little bit to eat, but not enough to stave off the hunger pangs that would surely come later. And so I think knowing some of this helps us appreciate what's really at stake for the workers in this parable that Jesus is telling. You see, it's not just about fairness. For some of the workers, it's about survival. So this helps us understand some of the tension, some of the dynamics that are going on in this parable. So the landowner, he gets up early, he goes out to the marketplace about 6 o'clock in the morning, and he hires some workers, and he agrees to pay those workers the standard wage, a denarius, for the day. And around 9 o'clock in the morning, maybe he's figuring, wow, this isn't enough, I'm not going to get this done today, so he goes back to the marketplace about nine o'clock. He sees some other men who are still standing around and he says to them, go to my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right at the end of the day. And again, the same thing happens at noon, he goes and hires some more. The same thing happens at three in the afternoon, he goes and hires some more. And about five o'clock in the afternoon, the final hour of work for the day is approaching. And the owner of the vineyard goes back to the marketplace and he sees some men who are still standing around. Can you imagine the dread in those men's belly, their heart, their mind? They've stood there for 11 hours hoping that someone would hire them for the day. Knowing they had a family to go home to, knowing they had hungry bellies to fill at home, and nothing had come their way. The landowner told them to go and work in his vineyard too. And when quitting time came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Go ahead, call the workers, call them up here, and pay them their wages. Begin with the last ones hired, and then end with the first ones hired. And the workers who were hired about 5 o'clock in the afternoon came, and each one of them received a denarius, a full day's wage. Can you imagine how deliriously happy they must have been to get a full day's wage for one hour's work? 
knowing that they'd be able to feed their family after all that day, knowing that maybe they'd even be able to pay a little bit on the bills they owed. Maybe they'd be able to keep the bank from foreclosing on their house. How in the world could they possibly contain their excitement, their exuberance at, at what was so ex unexpected had come their way? They couldn't. And that created a problem. Because you see, when those who had been hired first got to the front of the line to be paid, they had seen how very, very generous the landowner had been to those who had only worked an hour. And so I imagine they might have expected a huge bonus. Maybe they thought they'd get a week's worth of wages. I don't know. They were probably pretty disappointed when they also received just one denarius. The parable tells us they began to grumble. They began to complain. Those who were hired last, who worked only one hour, they said, you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But the landowner answered one of them. He said, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius for a whole day's wage? Take your pay and go. I want to give to those who were hired last the same as I gave to you. And don't I have the right to do with my own money that which I choose to do with it? Or are you envious because of how generous I am? And then Jesus added these words, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Oh my God pours out his grace so fully, so completely on everyone who wants to receive it. Those of us who have labored in the vineyard as Christians for most of our lives might like to think that we'll get an extra measure of grace in return for the years of our service. But that won't happen. It cannot happen because the Father's love is without limits. God pours out his grace without any reservations at all. There are no limits to his grace. It exceeds everything we could ever hope for, everything that we could ever expect. No one can ever say that he got more than someone else. For you see, God, like the landowner in Jesus' parable, is generous and the wages he pays are so much more than we deserve and so much better than we can imagine Romans 6 20 to 23 puts it this way when you were slaves to sin you were free from the control of righteousness what benefit did you reap from that time from the things that you are now ashamed of. Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap is holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that fantastic news isn't that the best news ever 
And here's even better news. Every one of us, everyone in the world has a choice to make. And God offers the same gift to every person. We can make the choice not to accept the gift. We can make the choice to remain stuck in our sins. And this passage tells us that the wages for that choice is death. But, but, we can choose to accept Christ as our Savior and receive from him the gift of God and eternal life. And not only that, but a life that leads to holiness right now. For the wages for those who make this choice is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. Listen to these verses from Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of death, of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. My friend, it is a lie that God gives us what we deserve. No. Unimaginably, unfathomably, God gives us more than we could ever deserve. His gift of life, his gift of love, his gift of grace and mercy. Yes, God's grace is available to everyone, but it is not inevitable. You can be made right with God through Jesus' sacrifice, but you have to receive it. Don't leave this precious gift unopened. God wants you to receive it. It reminds me of that old hymn. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. 
Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see his face. Will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, I want, I want your grace. I know I don't deserve it, but that's what makes it grace. I freely confess my sins to you and ask you to cover me with the blood of Jesus. Cover me with his righteousness and put my sin away from me as far as the east is from the west. I accept your free gift of forgiveness and as a result, I want to show my love to you by forgiving and loving others. God, your grace is truly amazing. And so I will never stop singing your praise. In Jesus' name, amen.